So, you know, keeping it into that perspective, we are all learning. We've never done this in this exact scenario before. We can learn from our past experiences and apply it to this current situation, but it's never been exactly like this before. And the other thing too is that our kids are watching us all the time. So they watch us mess up, but they also watch us admit it. They watch us repair and they watch us put tools in place to be better next time. And what a gift to our children that is. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of interviewing Larissa Galeris. Larissa is an occupational therapist, and she has been on a mission to help people become aware of their sensory processing. So Larissa supports parents and their children, and it's the idea that if you know more about how sensory works, you'll be able to be a more empathetic parent and have more tools in your tool belt for both of you and your child. So I am so excited to get into this interview because sensory overload is something that I really struggle with in parenting, and I know that I'm not alone. So before we get started, Larissa, please introduce yourself to our audience. Well, First of all, thank you so much for inviting me on to chat with you guys today. I am a big fan of your podcast and I'm so excited to be able to be here with you both. So like you mentioned, I'm an occupational therapist and since a lot of people might not be quite sure what that means, I'll just take a moment to explain what occupational therapy is. So occupational therapists help people who are experiencing some barrier to participating in their daily activities whether it's a disease, an injury, developmental disability, or anything else, we help them engage in their lives in meaningful and purposeful ways. And my specialty is sensory processing. So working with people on the way that their body interprets sensory information from the environment and also from their own bodies. And I also have two kids. I have a four-year-old son and an almost one-year-old daughter. And my daughter She's adorable, but man, she can shriek. So I am right there in the throes of sensory overload with all the rest of the parents in the world. Uh, My best friend is an occupational therapist and no one ever has any idea what she does or what that means. Like the word occupation really throws them off. They think that she like helps people work essentially. (laughs) Yeah. And when you look at the root of occupation, it means like something that fills your time. And so that's where occupational therapy comes from. Oh, look at us. We've learned something already. (laughs) Larissa, as we talked about before the interview started, when I found your Instagram account, I just went wild. I was reading every post. I was sharing some of them. Like Post after post spoke to me, and I know that you're going to speak to our listeners today. So one thing that happens in our household is that Drew and I can be very overwhelmed by the amount of noise. We have three little boys, a TV or device that's usually on, and we both can definitely hit our limit. My partner, Drew, and I, we have different triggers, though. Drew, for him, it's really the screams, the screeches, or the loud noises, where for me, it's very much more the accumulation. So often, it's the toy in the background that keeps 
roaring that puts me over the edge. It's those background noises. So please explain and advise. Yeah. So first of all, it is amazing that you both identified some of your triggers because that is so important in actually making progress forward. So our sensory system at its most foundational level is really our primary sense of safety. So for example, the auditory system would tell us if there's a predator nearby, our vestibular and proprioceptive systems or our movement systems, they tell us if we are moving or falling or being pushed. Our tactile system, our touch system tells us if we're maybe we're getting bitten by a snake or brushing against some poison ivy. So if we shift our understanding of sensory processing and sensory overload to a sense of safety, then it's a lot easier to show kindness to ourselves when we enter sensory overload. It's really just our sensory system working just a little too fiercely in the midst of sensory chaos. And part of the skill involved in sensory processing is recognizing what is a threat and what isn't a threat and then responding appropriately to it. But if we get overloaded from a sensory perspective, then that skill can become quite challenging. So back to your question about sound, Well, the auditory system, it tells us about the quality and directionality of sound. A functioning auditory system tells the body what the sound is, where it is located, and if it's a threat. It also involves the ability to filter out background sound and then tune in only to necessary sound. So a key piece of information is that the auditory system is neurologically linked to our fight or flight response. There's a branch of the vagus nerve that innervates the muscle of the middle ear And so it only makes sense that when your auditory system is overwhelmed, then your entire nervous system will become overwhelmed and you can quickly enter a fight or flight mode. And so for you and Drew, you're struggling with two different skills within auditory processing. He's dealing more with processing the loud sounds and being able to accept threatening sounds without physiologically being threatened. And for you, you're dealing more with filtering out background sounds. As a parent, our job is to keep our kids safe. So we are always using that skill of tuning into sound, but also filtering out unnecessary sound. The other day I was standing at the sink doing dishes while the kids were in the living room playing. I could hear them, but I could also tell that they were fine without me right there. And they've just hit that point where they're able to play together for short periods of time. And I was loving not having anyone clawing at my legs. But all of a sudden I heard that unmistakable sound of a gag. So I ran over. I noticed my daughter had shoved a marker too far down her throat. Thankfully, she was fine, but it really illustrated to me that even when we're doing something else as parents, we are always tuned into our kids, but then we're filtering out what we don't need to hear. So we're constantly doing this back and forth of tuning in, filtering out, tuning in, filtering out. And Amy, I think that's where you are struggling. You are using that skill so much that the more you need to filter, the more essentially fatigued your ear gets. So what I would say in that situation is to search your home for other background sounds you can turn off, the dishwasher, the heater or air conditioner, air purifier, ceiling fan, stove vent. These all make low frequency sounds that your auditory system already has to work to filter out before even dealing with the sounds of other people. So by doing this, you're removing some of the demands placed on your auditory system so that you can do the other things that you need to do better. And then for Drew, a couple other things might work in addition to turning off the background sounds, because again, that's just another demand placed on his ears. But reminding yourself, this is just noise and I am safe can actually be really effective. 
And then grounding into the floor or against a wall or using earplugs or just taking a few minutes to step outside can be really helpful. Oh, it's so exhausting to be a parent because even when I'm hearing this answer, I was like, another thing that came to my mind right away is that I always know where the kids are in the house based on the sound. And I'm like you, I know if they're safe, I know if they need to be checked on. Whereas Drew, he'll always be like, where are the kids? Like he never knows <laughs> where they are. And I'm like, how are you so not attuned to you know, the noises that the house makes, where the boys are, I can tell their cries, like if they really need help that minute or if it's more of right. a whine. So how is it that my husband, and I love him so much, just doesn't have the sense of like where the kids are, but where moms, I feel like we get really exhausted because we're always aware. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it comes down to a difference in I mean, maybe just physiology, like how your body responds versus his. Our job as moms is really to protect our children. And so we are always, always, always listening for that. And then, I don't know, I mean, maybe evolutionarily speaking, men are more like the hunters. And so they're searching out for big, loud sounds. And then women are the gatherers and searching out for like tiny little dangers. I don't know. It could be something like that. But yeah, it's interesting how everybody processes sound differently. Yeah. And I love that awareness factor of just trying to figure out like, where does this even come from? Because our house is similar that way where I'm like, Colin, how do you not understand what's going on? Where if it's a vacuum cleaner in the background or a lion in the background, I feel like any mom would be like, yep, I hear that coming. Like it's over right. there and we're just right. so attuned to it. But where we differ from the Kiefer household is that I have such an issue with the noise. But Colin, he loves like the rough and tumble play and being really loud. And sometimes I'll go to the other room because I'm so overwhelmed and he seemingly encourages the noise. And I'm like, really? Like, how can you handle this right now? Much <laughs> less encourage it. So for other homes that have this difference in needs where he likes the rough and tumble, he likes being loud, he likes engaging. Can you walk us through, first of all, why this is, but then also steps on how to support both parents' needs? Yeah, absolutely. You had me laughing there because this sounds exactly like me and my <laughs> husband. And I think a lot of other couples can relate to this as well. So everyone's sensory system processes sensory stimuli in different ways. So sometimes people are over-responsive to certain types of input, which means that their nervous system needs less stimulation to get a response. And then other people are under-responsive, so they need more stimulation to get that response. And often people can be mixed where they're over-responsive to some types of input and then under-responsive to others. So I tend to be very over-responsive and it sounds like you are too. I can hit that threshold of what I can handle or what my body needs pretty quickly. But my husband, who sounds similar to Colin, is a little more under-responsive. So he needs more stimulation to get that same response. His threshold for stimulation is much higher than mine. He comes home from work and immediately starts wrestling with our kids. So together they are getting their vestibular input, proprioceptive input, auditory input, tactile input. They're both getting the input that their body needs to feel regulated, but also to feel connected to each other. And then I stand there just like you receiving all of that auditory and visual stimulation from them wrestling. And it makes me want to cry because I'm so overwhelmed. But it's important to recognize that neither of those responses is right or wrong. It's just how our systems react. 
It's really interesting what you just said there, because even last night, like I'm more like both of your husbands. I can handle a lot and a lot of touch and everything like that. Last night I hit my mm-hmm. limit. I was like, I am leaving this house. I cannot do this anymore because we're all going to hit our limit. Even if you're the parent, that's like the go-to, I can handle so much parent. Right. We all have thresholds. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's interesting too, because we can really judge our partner. Like sometimes I'm like, that's really all you can handle. But I hope that this conversation is kind of opening up the idea that we are all just different and no one is right or wrong. Exactly. So another thing that I saw that you posted about was the concept of touch and being touched out. So there are these moments in time, and I know I'm not alone, that I feel like I can't handle any more touch. As I said, we have three boys. They are all very cuddly. They're always all over me. Like there's times where I reach my limit. So I was reading on your account, the difference between light touch versus deep pressure. And it's something that I had no idea about. So I would love if you explain this for our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So being touched out is something that I don't think a lot of people understand until they become parents, but it is a very real feeling. So the tactile system, our touch system, it has two parts. There's the protective system and then the discriminative system. So the protective system alerts us to danger and it stimulates the fight, fight or freeze response if it perceives something as dangerous. It happens through light touch. So it could be a mosquito bite, a light tap on the shoulder or a gentle stroke they all activate this defensive system and your tactile system quickly has to determine if it's harmful or helpful. And then there's the discriminative system and this allows us to feel nuances in how we are touched. So this is the force of the touch, the location of the touch and what we are touching. This is the system that allows us to reach into our bag and pull out our keys without looking, but it's activated through pressure, like a big hug or holding or carrying an object or feeling the zipper on your sweater. And then these two parts need to work both together and separately in order for them to function effectively and determine if we're safe. So if you think about the type of touch that we get as parents, it is all unpredictable light touch. We get children tapping on you, jumping on you, nursing on you, pumping, your clothes don't fit right, your partner gives you a half-hearted hug on their way out the door. So in terms of touch, we're getting overloaded with unpredictable light touch. And this is the kind of touch that physiologically informs us of danger. But what we don't get is much of the calming touch, which is deep pressure. So of course, our nervous system is going into panic because it thinks our safety is compromised. Now, we can override that most of the time with our cognitive self, but at some point, our evolutionary instincts might kick in. We might yell, cry, run away, or basically we're entering a fight or flight mode. So then what do you do about it? First thing is recognizing what's going on. I'm getting overloaded with light touch right now, but I am safe. I am at home. My kids are here. Again, I'm safe. And then finding opportunities to provide both deep pressure and proprioceptive input, which is input into the joints, to override that light touch. So this might be crawling under a weighted blanket. It might be leaning firmly against a wall. It might be doing a few yoga poses like downward dog. It might be stretching at the kitchen counter, 
It even might just be having your kid come sit on your lap and just focusing on the pressure of them on your lap. So you want to give your system some regulating input so that you can come into your body and back to the present moment. Mm, that's so interesting because I hear for a lot of women too, it really impacts their desire to be intimate with their partners at the end of the day because they're like, mm -hmm. I have been touched all day. The last thing I want is you demanding my touch or you touching right. me. Is there any like reset that they could do if that's something that they really struggle with, but something that they want to work on? Yeah. I mean, I would say like real hugs from your partner, actual hugs, not like, Hey, sweetie, how you doing? If you're feeling touched out, but you want to create some intimacy with your partner, then focus on deep pressure. And your partner is a great person to do that with because you can just get enveloped in their embrace. And that's going to give you all that deep pressure, but then it's also connecting you with your partner. And that would be a great place to start is just with a, a real hug. Yeah, I love that. And too, this is a subject for a different episode, but <laughs> with Drew, like he'll be caressing me so gently and I'm like, stop, <laughs> like, I, right. I want to do this with you, but I actually don't like that light touch that I used to like when we would start to be intimate. So right. it's just also just saying what you like and what you don't like and as women being empowered to do so. Okay, a quick break for a very fun announcement for the Herself community. It's the end of winter and it has felt long. So for me, between parenting inside, paired with the never-ending pandemic, paired with life with young kids in general, it's definitely wearing on me. And I know that others may feel the overwhelm of all of this as well. Yes. And since Abby and I love challenges, we're going to do one with this community. They help us gather as a group in solidarity and cheer each other on. And right now, I know a lot of us need some accountability. Abby and I think this is the perfect time to prioritize our movement, mental health, and community all at the same time. So we're going to be running a four-week challenge as a Herself community starting March 7th. It's going to include three days of movement, listening to our weekly episode, and 20 minutes of self-care per week. So this should be really doable for everyone. You guys, I am so excited for this one because Amy and I are going to be doing the new Elevated and Empowered Guide in the app. So I've been doing the Expecting and Empowered Postpartum Guide for about a year and a half now. And I love that E&E &E just launched this new advanced guide and it's right in your app. So Amy and I will be starting at week one on March 7th if any others are a little further postpartum and want a challenge. So where Amy and I will be doing the Elevated Guide, know that Expecting and Empowered has pregnancy and postpartum workouts in their app as well. But you can do any movement that suits you. This is really a challenge for you based on whatever you need this season. Elevated and Empowered was created to take your workouts to the next level. And you guys can use code HERSELF for $20 off the annual membership in your Apple or Google Play Store. You can check out Instagram stories for the graphic to download to be a part of the challenge. It's also available in your show notes to save to your phone as well. Can't wait to tackle this one with you guys. 
So another post that really stuck out to me, something that I am absolutely working on, if I'm being really honest, is the idea of mirror neurons. So Mm -hmm. when our children are experiencing a tantrum and we yell or we respond emergently, we're not demonstrating for them what we're expecting from them. So let's talk about this and some strategies that we can use to keep calm in the chaos. Yeah, absolutely. So not only are we not demonstrating what we're expecting from them by yelling or reacting sharply, we are actually, as doctors Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson say, we're poking the lizard. So when we yell or spank or even look sternly or scary towards our kids, we're sending a signal to their nervous system that there's danger. And then in their book, No Drama Discipline, they mention that when we are threatened or attacked, our reptilian or primitive brain takes over and it becomes survival mode. And this isn't necessarily a literal threat. It could be a tone of voice. It could be facial expression. Anything that doesn't signal safety might elicit a fear-based response in our kids. And when we react in a way that's scary, we trigger reactivity in our kids. And I can totally see this in my son. When it has been a day and I am at my wit's end and I resort to yelling, his posturing totally changes. His muscles tense up, his voice starts to quiver, or he digs his heels in and keeps doing exactly what I yelled at him not to do, but then this time with more gusto looking me dead in the eye. And then I have to remember, don't poke the lizard, Larissa, don't poke the lizard. And the lizard's just standing there staring me down. So what do we do then if we know that yelling is not the answer? And not only that, it's just not effective. Well, we have to figure out how to regulate ourselves first. And this might mean setting up a strict routine for ourselves that includes eating and drinking and small sensory breaks to make sure that our body is nourished and regulated and we can handle the ups and downs of the day. It might mean grabbing a crunchy or chewy snack when you feel like yelling. This will do a few things. One, it'll keep your mouth busy so you can't yell. Two, crunchy or chewy foods can bring you back to a calmer state. And sometimes it might provide an opportunity to connect with your child. I don't know about you guys, but I've never once had a snack in front of my kids without them wanting some of it. So it might give you a chance to sit with your child and eat together. I've started implementing what I call reset nachos. It's just nachos that I make when the day needs a reset, but it's crunchy, it's delicious, it's got protein, and who can be mad over a plate of nachos? So find a good reset for you dance party, snacks, ice water from a straw, hot tea, whatever it is that gives you the types of sensory input that's regulating to you, identify it and use it. Okay, I am going to try that. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to try that because I think the pushback that could be in some listeners ears right now, which is what's coming up for me is like, it feels opposite. It feels like one of our children (laughs) tries to poke my lizard because I can be calm. You know, I deal with a lot of his, he'll be really escalated and I'll nail it. I'll be calm in his chaos and I'll do it, you know, four times during the night. And it's the fifth, sixth, seventh time where I'm like, I have tried this calm thing and this calm thing is not working. So like solidarity to anyone that's listening and is like, I really try And then it's kind of the exhaustion of like, gosh, nothing seems to be working. And then you reach your limit. Right. And I think it's important too. like, what is, what is working? Like if you 
think about it from that perspective too. Like what's your end game? Is it that you get them to sleep or is it to finally like sit with them or is it rest? I think when you kind of try to figure out the purpose of what you're doing and why are you being calm, are you trying to fix something in this moment or can you zoom out and look at your whole perspective of how are they developing and is this getting easier over time, even if right now it's not easy? Yeah, when you're in the weeds, it can feel so heavy. But when you do take Mm -hmm. that step back, and I see with my parents and with Colin's parents too, like they only get little bits of the tantrums and the overstimulation. And they say like, I love this. I love this part of it. But when you're in it every single day, yeah, it just can feel so much. And Larissa, I just have to stop to pause to say, I love how you use all these really big words and all this research back material and then talk about poking the lizard and reset nachos. It's just like the best of both <laughs> worlds right now. Yeah, I'm just so relatable with all of this. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, big fan of those reset nachos. <laughs> I'm going to use that. I mean, the crunchy yeah. snack. Who doesn't like a crunchy snack? Right, exactly. And it kind of goes back to that discriminative is it discriminative? I'm saying that right with the hard pressure, kind of like that mm-hmm. hug, which is so calming. I could just mm-hmm. feel that in my jaw, having, that, having those reset nachos. So implementing yeah. that tonight. Oh, good. And Larissa, I do love that you teach on this, but then you also have a post that read, being the calm in their storm is exhausting. And Amy alluded to this before. None of us will do this parenting thing perfectly. And sometimes it's just so exhausting trying to be calm for so long. So I would love if you talked about where you struggle in motherhood. And then also, how do you show yourself some compassion during your not so great moments? Yeah. Well, one of my biggest struggles really is just keeping myself regulated in general. So I get really overwhelmed with noise. I sometimes will have a full startle response to unexpected visual input. I tend to be highly sensitive in that other people's emotions can overwhelm me. And all of that combined can make me really struggle with emotional regulation and keeping my cool. And then sometimes I can get really down on myself for being so sensitive in that way. But when I get that way, I remember something that a lactation consultant actually told me when I was learning to breastfeed my eldest. She said, you are both learning. He has never done this before and you've never done this before. And that carries true throughout motherhood. I've never before had a four-year-old and a one-year-old at the same time. And in a year when they're five and two, I'll have never parented a five-year-old and a two-year-old at the same time before. So, you know, keeping it into that perspective, we are all learning. We've never done this in this exact scenario before. We can learn from our past experiences and apply it to this current situation, but it's never been exactly like this before. And the other thing too is that our kids are watching us all the time. So they watch us mess up, but they also watch us admit it. They watch us repair and they watch us put tools in place to be better next time. And what a gift to our children that is. Mm, I absolutely loved that answer. Just last night I was repairing after I had yelled and it was just, it was a special moment of connection and just seeing that their little hearts definitely forgive you and just showing up to say sorry without an excuse, but just saying mommy shouldn't have yelled like that. Right. Another interesting thing about you being a professional, we had Dr. Aliza Pressman on 
a long time ago and her children are getting older now. So they'll kind of say to her, mom, did you talk about that strategy on the podcast? Because (laughs) you're holding yourself to this really high standard. And sometimes even the people around you can hold you to that. But we're all human at the end of the day. We're all going to make mistakes. Not one of us is going to get this perfect, even if you specialize in it. Right. And you can have the tools, but then You know, part of being a professional is looking at something clinically, but then when you're the parent, you can't always zoom out and look at it clinically because you're in it. You're so emotional. You're emotionally attached to your child as you should be, but it's different. And that's why like doctors don't treat their kids. And that's because you are emotionally attached to your child. And so you can't always think clinically. And I can be hard on myself for that. And a quick break from our podcast sponsor, BetterHelp. Relationships, they take work, especially the most important one that you have in your life. And this is the relationship with yourself. And we know that a lot of us will drop anything to go help someone that we care about. We'll go out of our way to treat other people well. But how often are you giving yourself that exact same treatment? I know that this has been a definite journey for me, making sure that I'm putting myself first, even if there's a million other things that are tugging at my time and energy. I've worked with my BetterHelp therapist on this. We have used the video feature. We've used the phone feature, going out for a walk, and even just having chats in between sessions. Being able to have this variety just makes it so accessible compared to the typical therapy that you get with going into an office and having to drive across town in order to get counseling. It's also much more affordable than in-person therapy, and we love that you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Right now, therapy is hard to get into. We get it. But being matched within 48 hours makes therapy accessible, and you can have it this week. So give it a try and see why over 2 million people now have used BetterHelp therapy, including Amy and I. And because this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, all of our Herself listeners get 10% off their first month by going to betterhelp.com slash herself. Again, that's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash herself. It totally yeah. makes sense. You can't be their mom and their pediatric occupational therapist. You have to take that hat off to be their mom. Right. So that is your specialty. You work with children with sensory processing disorders and other neurodevelopment disabilities, but you had an experience that changed the way that you understood it. So can you talk about that and how it made you a better teacher and more empathetic to your own kids? Yeah. So a few years ago, I sustained a concussion and that resulted in sensory issues, executive functioning issues, and motor issues that have been pretty debilitating. I'm doing much better now after a ton of rehab, but I had to stop working in the clinic, which makes me so sad, but it also gives me more time to spend with my own kids. And for that, I am extremely grateful. And it was the stimulus to starting my own platform here online to support parents and understanding one, what it feels like to have sensory processing issues so that they can be more understanding of their kids with sensory processing issues. But also, how do you parent in a way that supports your own sensory needs? Because your own regulation is essential in parenting with intention. And something that both my clinical background and my personal background with this head injury has really shown me is that everything we do is layered with necessary skills. 
So this is what occupational therapists call activity analysis. What skills are involved or necessary to perform this particular task? And then how do we work with that to help you do the task? So then in terms of my own kids, you know, I can identify that they're working hard. There are skills involved in this task that they're doing that maybe are too complex for them right now. Something is challenging them to the point that it might be causing distress. And then my job is to figure out what that is and help them with it. Either we work on the skill or we adapt the task or both. But through all of that, it helps me to show kindness towards them because I know that they're working really, really hard. Well, when you break it down like that, it makes it sound so simple. (laughs) I need to have your words in my ears tonight when the same type of tantrums start to pop up or the same type of challenges start to pop up because you just have such a calm way of explaining it. And it just makes sense. Oh, uh, but it's harder you. to do in the action, as we all know. It's harder oh, yeah. to do when you're in the moment. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like the overstimulation is so much that I'm starting to wonder what's normal. So Larissa, I had my first panic attack back in December and it happened in a car ride to daycare when, I mean, the noise in the car, that's definitely a trigger for me anyway. And it gets to me <laughs> on a lot of occasions. But when I had that panic attack, it sent me into overdrive. I had to pull over to the side of the road. It was a very scary situation. And now I get nervous when driving with the kids because I'm afraid that's going to happen again. So for those who have major issues with sensory overload in any way, is there a way to know what's normal for this intense season of parenthood versus what might be a diagnosis or a bigger issue? Yeah, that is a great question. I'm so sorry to hear that you've been dealing with that. Yeah. It can be really challenging and really scary, especially when you're driving. I've experienced a few panic attacks too, and they are not fun. So in terms of whether it's normal or a bigger issue, it really boils down to, is it impeding your ability to function and participate meaningfully in your daily life and your roles? So for you, for example, if you get nervous in the car, but you can calm it down with deep breaths, visualizations, chewing gum sometimes can help, but you can still drive them, then I would say that even though it's scary, it's uncomfortable, it can make you feel uneasy, then it wouldn't be concerning from a clinical perspective. But if it were at the point where you refused to drive, or when you did drive, you screamed at your kids the whole time, or your fingers are turning white from gripping the steering wheel too tightly, or you have tears streaming down your face because you're so scared, then I would look into seeing somebody for that. And then often sensory processing and anxiety are intertwined, especially in older kids and into adulthood, because again, our sensory system gives us information about safety. So naturally, if we don't feel safe, or if we've been in a situation where we didn't feel safe, then we would develop anxiety around that situation. So if your sensory challenges or your anxiety is at the point where you don't feel like you can function smoothly and be the mom that you want to be or be the partner that you want to be or be in your career the way that you want to be, then absolutely talk to your healthcare provider about it and find some help. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And your ability to break that down of, okay, these are the symptoms Am I able to function in the role that I'm doing right now? Mm -hmm. That was extremely helpful. I'm actually seeing an acupuncturist 
you mentioned the vagus nerve earlier, and she always brings up the vagus nerve for the anxiety. And I'm like, okay, that makes a lot more sense now. Like now that you put those two things together. So yeah, all this is just starting to click now with panic attacks and anxiety and the overstimulation and how they really can all go hand in hand. Oh um, yeah. You get to a point where you aren't feeling your needs in the way that you need to. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was thinking one thing that we could definitely leave our audience with is proactive ways that parents can take care of their sensory systems before they hit a breaking point. Yeah. So important. So something that can be really helpful in this is giving yourself a routine. So routine gives our nervous system the opportunity to relax a bit because it knows what to expect. So obviously I would love to give myself a beautiful morning routine where I get up, do yoga, journal, drink my coffee while it's hot. But I mean, that is not feasible with young kids. But what is feasible is waking up and opening my curtains as soon as I get out of bed and then looking at the trees outside for just a few moments and taking a few breaths there. I can make sure that I eat at the same time every day so my brain knows when it's going to get its next shot of glucose. I can take a dimly lit shower every night to signal to my brain that it's time to start shutting down for bed. Whatever simple routines you can set are going to be hugely beneficial in supporting your nervous system. It can adapt to change better when there's consistency. And then also identifying moments throughout the day when you tend to get overwhelmed and put in some calming strategies right before that. So if you always get overwhelmed when you're cooking dinner, then at four o'clock every day, walk outside or into your bedroom for 30 seconds if that's all you can manage, but be intentional about it. Give yourself moments throughout the day to offload some of that sensory input so it doesn't accumulate and then you lose your mind at bedtime. And then being aware of your sensory triggers. Maybe you know you're sensitive to noise or touch or you know you need to exercise every day in order to feel your best. So just by being aware of them, you can increase your self-kindness. If it's extra loud one day, you can just mindfully remind yourself, I am safe, my children are safe. It's just extra loud today. Or if you didn't get a chance to exercise, again, you can remind yourself, I'm feeling this way because I didn't go for my morning run, but I am safe and my children are safe. Or if your children just keep touching you, you can say to yourself, I'm feeling overwhelmed because my tactile system is overloaded right now. Giving yourself that validation could go so far. Even if you can't do anything to stop it, it helps because you can switch from a reaction or maybe even a self-deprecation like, I should be a better mom, or I should be able to handle this, but I can't, or just quickly resorting to yelling, you know, you can shift from that to, I am a good mom, but also my needs aren't being met right now. And that is such a powerful shift. Larissa, I loved how tangible you got with that answer and also how doable each of those activities are. So for anybody who does have overstimulation or sensory overload, I encourage you just to click back two minutes there and just re-listen to those and just pick even one or two to start focusing in on today because those are things that we can pull into our life right now to just make a world of difference. And I personally, I feel so much better after hearing your recommendations and just having a bit of a plan to bring back to my family. So Larissa, can you let our audience know where they can find more of you if sensory issues are something that they want more information on? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram as warrior.ot. I also have a few courses, Sensing Your Needs in Parenthood, where we talk about how sensory processing affects parenthood and the parent-child dynamic, how to identify your own sensory triggers within each of the sensory systems. 
and then how to implement sustainable strategies throughout the day in practical, effective ways so you can avoid the buildup of sensory overload throughout the day or week. And then I have another course called Parenting with Peace to help you guide you as you parent or care for children with sensory processing challenges. And then if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me, message me on Instagram, or you can get me through my website, www.warriorot.com. Perfect. You brought a topic to light that is so relevant for so many members of our community. So for those listening, please take a few minutes to leave a review in your podcast app so that more people can find The Herself Show and learn from guests like Larissa. 